Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Hiawatha Church. <laughs> Thanks again. What is, what's going on? I've never done that. So first service, I forgot my water too, and then again, second. I never do that. And then two, two times in one day. What is going on? All right. <laughs> Not a huge deal, I guess. Um, so my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome, as Peter said. Glad you guys are with us. If it's your first Sunday here, uh, we are especially glad you're, you're joining us. Um, we're in a longer series right now in the book of Genesis. We're taking a break from today, and then we'll uh, pick it up next week all the way through, I think, pretty much Christmas, and then we'll finish that up. But we're taking a break, talk about our church. Uh, usually this is the Sunday in the year, you know, mixed with something in January, and I think we'll do that again this January, so you can expect that. But um, this is the Sunday year we kind of break from whatever we're doing just to hit the pause button and talk about what makes us tick and what we value and what our vision is. Uh, we never want to presume people remember that, first of all, but then a lot of you are new, and you've just been checking out our church maybe for the first time today or throughout the summer, and you've met people but haven't just heard much about what makes us tick yet and what we value, and so uh, we highly value that, even over-communicating at times, and we'll be far from perfect at that, but we attempt anyway to over-communicate and explain who we are, where we're headed, what we value, and then kind of relatedly what we don't value. Uh, it's, you know, that's one of the lessons I learned as a church planner early on 10 years ago when we were starting this church is that at any, and this is probably true in the, the secular world as well with organizations, but when you focus on something, you just kind of by definition don't focus on other things. And so as a church planner, I realized that early on we were saying no to lots of good ideas <laughs> for the sake of focus. Not bad ideas, like good ideas, like things we could be doing, we could be focusing on, we could be pouring into that were um, kind of exciting and, and not, they wouldn't be bad to do. A lot of churches might be doing them, but for the sake of focusing on the majors, things that we felt particularly called to, we were saying no to uh, these, these great ideas. And that, those are hard conversations to have amongst leadership or kind of towards people in our church that were bringing these ideas to us. But we found that that's been a very healthy thing for our church. Uh, difficult maybe in the moment, but healthy to, to be able to focus and hone in on one a particular thing, and uh, maybe there's more than one thing, but kind of one major thing that has planets orbiting around it, and so we'll talk about, you know, the sun and the planets today uh, from different uh, angles, and so, uh, so lots of angles we could take uh, today, and in the past we have, when we talk about, you know, what is our, um, our main thing, I'll actually uh, get to that, but what's our, what our main thing is, is uh, it's, in a word, it's Jesus, and I, I don't want to just, you know, plow past that, and so um, I want to mention that is really what we're about, and it, it doesn't really go without saying these days in different church communities, and so I don't know where you guys are from, where you've been. Some of you I know pretty well, uh, but a lot of you um, I don't yet, and so I don't want to presume that this is, just goes without saying, that we are a church that values Jesus. He's everything to us, and, and so we're not gathering around a concept or an idea or just a few of his teachings that kind of you know, particularly apply to our life uh, today, but we're, we're gathered around a person who's alive. We really believe he rose from the dead, and everything boils down to that. We really believe he walked out of that tomb 2,000 years ago. It changes everything. Uh, it affects what the cross is about. He actually died for our sins, and he affected salvation on the cross because he wasn't just a man, he was God. He brings us into new life. Uh, speaking of the new creation, that last song, he ushers in a new way of, of living, a new hope. Uh, eternal life is actually possi possible now because a human being walked out of the grave. Uh, he wasn't just God. He was a human being like us as well. So that kind of dual nature, Jesus being fully God and fully man, is distinctly Christian. It, you can't really be a believer without it because of um, what kind of falls by the wayside if we don't uphold that. So in a word, we're about Christ. He's everything. He's our Savior. He's 
um, we're worshipers and thankers of him, you know, not just kind of, he's not a taskmaster primarily. There are things he asks the church to do, but he's primarily a good father. He's primarily a loving, like a loving husband to a wife, um, as the Bible says. He's, he's a savior. When, when he's born, the angels pronounce, uh, I have good news, Gabriel says, right, to, to Mary and Joseph and kind of the world and the shepherds, a savior's born. You know, not, not a moral teacher or a life coach, uh, but a, a Savior has been born. So right from the very beginning, and this is in the Old Testament too as it's being predicted and prophesied about, of course, but right at the beginning of, of, of the New Testament, Matthew 1, the word Savior comes up. And so uh, that's huge. We'll talk about that today, um, but I, you know, as we talk about a, our main thing and use a particular lens today, which I'll get to in a second, um, I want to make sure that, that is, um, that's heard. So, um, so lots of angles we could take just talking about Jesus, and we will. Our vision, which is to glorify God by spreading the gospel through word and deed among our church and then out to our city and beyond. Um, our main three values of gospel, community, and mission, we, we actually have 13, but uh, they boil down to those three. The purpose of the church, uh, we have dream, our dream statements online if you want to read those. A lot of stuff's online actually on our website if you want to hop on there. But what we dreamt about when we, when we uh, were starting the church 10 years ago that kind of uh, summarize uh, some of our main values. And, and then last January, we were, we were preaching the basic the question of what are we supposed to be doing on a daily basis as Christians? And as, as a pastor, I asked this of my, to myself, and uh, we talk about it, my wife and I, and then um, as a church, I, I get this question posed to me a lot. It's a great question. What should we be doing on a, on a daily basis? And last January, we preached on that and looked at 1 John 3.23, which says basically two things. If you boil it all down, believe the gospel, believe that Jesus died for you on a cross and he rose again three days later, believe it every day, pour yourself into it, get to know it better, how all the scriptures are about it, believe it. And then secondly, love the church. Or as 1 John 3.23 says, love one another, a book written to Christians. So the idea is not that we shouldn't love outsiders, we should and, and we do, uh, but we should love the church, love other brothers and sisters in the faith sacrificially, generously, to point them back and you who are doing the loving back to a God who loved them first on a cross. Because the Bible says it's not a transaction. When Jesus dies for us, it's not a transaction. It's love. It's the essence of love. Whether we feel it or not, the Bible says this is love. This is the greatest form of love when someone lays down his life for his friends. That's John 15, 13, Jesus' words. And so looking ahead to his death, he's saying, when I die for who are really at that point in the story his enemies, people who aren't loving him, who aren't reciprocating what he's starting to do in bringing the kingdom of God into the world, who are rebelling against God. We've all, this, is where, this is our narrative, where we're all at. We rebel. We don't acknowledge him fully as God. We put ourselves in the throne of our, our lives. We hurt people. We commit sins. We murder with our thoughts. We go our own way. Uh, this is how the Bible describes the nature of what we're born into. Uh, but you know, God's gracious actions towards that are kind of paramount in the scriptures. Uh, they're, they're everything. He's, his posture towards us, his enemies, are, is kindness and restraint and patience. He's slow to anger. And all that finds its goal on the cross when he patiently, without a, kind of keeping his mouth shut like a sheep before it shears, the Bible says, he goes to the cross and dies substitutionarily for us. Uh, that's, that is the gospel. So, again, uh, a lot of angles we could take. Uh, we talked about that last time, believe and love, kind of these main two things. But really all that is saying the same thing. Today what I want to do is uh, to talk about 
who we are, the, the particular lens I want to use so that we're not always saying the exact same thing word for word like three times a year. Uh, we want to kind of say the same thing but from a different angle or through a different lens. Talk about our values. I want, I want to focus on one of the networks that our church is formally affiliated with. Uh, not a denomination, but it's a network, which a lot of you are aware, is um, Acts 29. And um, I want to define this and uh, talk about it biblically, though. I'll talk about the network. A lot of you guys ask us what it is exactly. It's on the worship folders in the back, I think. And so on our website, people see that and they want to know what it is. A lot of you do know, though, you found us because of this network. Uh, maybe you came from a church in Ohio or Florida or wherever, and you were a part of one there and you wanted to... Um, join one here in the Twin Cities, and that's great. And so, uh, in fact, it's probably the case, I said this first service too, that probably about 12, you know, 15 of you in the room right now, I'm guessing, it's a rough guess, but found us through Acts 29, and so it's a big, for some people, a big draw, because you kind of know what you're getting. And um, if you've been a part of one, and you know kind of the pillars of, these theological pillars of belief and philosophies of ministry that usually align, they're not cookie-cutter churches by any stretch, but... Um, you kind of know what you're getting with, uh, with it. I'll talk about some of those, not all of them uh, today, but it's a great network. Uh, Letha and I were in Long Beach, California last July, kind of getting refreshed in, in the network and uh, listening to the leaders speak kind of the vision over what the network's all about again. And, and I just realized we don't talk from the pulpit a lot about this. We, we talk in our intro to Hiawatha class and kind of personally about X29 um, a lot, but from the pulpit, we haven't done this. And um, so uh, I want to do that. And, but then, again, the bigger question, though, is how does our vision align and kind of flow out from what Acts 29 is doing? Uh, we didn't start Hiawatha as an Acts 29 church. We joined later. So there are things that we had from day one that we later realized lined up really well with this network, and so we affiliated. Um, and so, but anyway, a little brief history. But um, I do want to talk about it, though, and then we'll kind of widen out to just this greater Acts 29 idea biblically and some cultural biblical values that are really important for us as a church so that you guys know what you're getting into if you are kind of in that place of uh, checking us out. And then for those of you who call this home, you can be reminded of some of these things. So Acts 29 is um, a, this is their tagline, a, a diverse global family of church planting churches. There, I think there are about 700 churches right now globally. It was uh, a North American, actually, yeah, an American ministry out of a church in the West Coast for a number of years, but then it quickly became its own thing, and then it quickly expanded out uh, to broader North America, and then uh, now there's lots of churches in Europe and um, Australia and South America and, um, and, uh, and beyond. So um, some Asian churches are kind of popping up now too. So uh, it's pretty great, and just in that sense alone. Uh, but so hence the diverse global family, that wasn't actually a part of its tagline years ago, but uh, they've, they've tweaked things here. But well, you'll see here, it's, the main thing is uh, church planting churches. So it's not a denomination, it's a network that, you know, we just called before a church planting network. Like-minded churches from across the denominational spectrum, they want to plant churches that in turn plant churches. So uh, some of you are aware denominationally, we're a, a part of a denomination called Converge, which is a Baptistic denomination, so we're a Baptists. That's a denomination, uh, and there are other values there and reasons why we're a part of that uh, group, uh, which is a great group. That's another, I guess, another day, another sermon for that one. But Acts 29 is a network. It's a little bit different. It's multi-denominational, but it's a single-issue network. And this is what they, what I want to make sure you guys hear is they, we get this kind of pounded home uh, with us as well, is that the only reason to be a part of this network, really, maybe, maybe there are 
are several, but the main one is it's a single-issue network. So if you want to plant churches, let in turn plant churches. And, and a lot of times they kind of invite people graciously to the exit and just say, hey, it's okay if you don't want to plant churches, but, you know, kind of what, what are you doing here if you, if you don't want to do it uh, kind of thing. So the, the network kind of, you know, ebbs and flows with, uh, with numbers because some people just don't. And it's not a huge sin necessarily, like a congregational or church sin if you're not planting churches you know, regularly. Uh, we do think it's biblical, though, and we think it's important, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit um, uh, throughout today. But what I want you to see here, though, too, is um, it's not just planting churches, but particular kinds. And so Acts 29 is passionate about planting churches that also multiply, so they don't just, like we were a church plant 10 years ago, and we didn't plant with the idea that, all right, we're done, that's all we're going to do with church planting. It would be kind of nice in one sense, be easier, but um, we we'll want to plant churches. We want to plant more churches kind of out of our church. And, um, and by the way, that term, if that's new to you, just means starting new churches, usually uh, birthing them out of your church by sending your own people to do, to do them, to start them. Not that you have to send your own. It could be just funding church planting. It could be kind of pooling money to make it happen with other churches. It could be hosting an intern that you don't know that well for a year and then sending them. So there are other ways than sending kind of your, your core leaders. But a lot of times that's what it means. You're kind of breaking off. You're, you're sending some core leaders with a team of your church to go elsewhere in the city or beyond to start a new work, a, a new community of light amidst the darkness. And, um, and so anyway, but it's particular kinds. So it's, it's churches that value these two things, and I'll talk about this, um, theological clarity or robustness, just being very theological and biblical, but also missionally innovative. So in other words, as we move towards a lost world, we're thinking creatively about what that looks like in the 21st century. Uh, the, the narratives and languages that the world speaks and how to speak the gospel into that. We're thinking creatively and we're also going boldly. Um, didn't mean to quote Star Trek there, but I did. Um, that was unintentional. Uh, but still, going boldly in the darkness. And so we're going free, we're going with boldness, we're going uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're um, going with hope that God can save the worst of sinners because he saved us. And, you know, Christians that are humbled by their sin really believe that, that we're the worst of people. If we really, really honestly look at our heart, all of our motives, all of our thoughts, all of our deeds, um, as dark as they are, God can break through that. And he did if we're saved. And so we want to see that transmitted through other churches um, elsewhere. So what I mean by theological clarity and missional innovation then, to look at it this way, um, that means we're not sacrificing theology for mission or mission for theology. And a lot of times that's easy to do, and we've certainly done that in our past. We're not perfect at this. It's, it's a razor's edge to walk, to be very theological and very biblical and very missional at the same time and culturally relevant, to put it another way, or something like that, whatever phrase you want. To do both those equally is a razor's edge, and we'll certainly veer one side now and then, but we strive to walk that razor's edge. And Acts 29 does that, and it's, it's, a, it's a, we think, a beautiful, biblical, very difficult thing, but worthy of uh, blood, sweat, and tears uh, to pursue. So, but another way to uh, refer to this is to look at um, the idea that we are very conservative theologically, and all Acts 29 churches are, and we're, we're not an exception. We're conservative theologically, but we also might appear more liberal culturally to people uh, in terms of how we move towards a lost world and how we work out spirituality. So I want to explain that. We don't say that a lot from up here. We talk as, as leaders about that a lot or overseers because um, we kind of understand what we mean by those terms. 
I want to explain that a bit so I'm not misunderstood because conservative and liberal can mean different things to different people and it can be confusing. So um, what I mean by that is, is this, and Jesus, Jesus was the epitome of this in the Gospels. He was conservative theologically, that might kind of sound like a, an obvious thing, but he said things exclusively about himself that we would kind of just tend to label as conservative theological statements, exclusive statements about Jesus and his claims. But he also lived in a way that really ruffled the feathers of conservative fundamentalistic types in the Gospels, people that thought they were good and moralistic and law-abiding religious people. He, he butted heads with them a lot, and so, that, so therefore, definitionally, kind of lived liberally among them. In a couple of places you see this, just to give you an example, is like in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the only way to God. I'm the only way. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one gets to the Father, no one comes back to God as sinners saved by grace except through me and what I do. So it's a very exclusivistic claim. It, it's not in any way resembling of kind of the worldly statement of all roads, lead, religious roads lead to God somehow. It's, it flies directly in the face of that. And so it's, a, it's this conservative theological statement. He makes many things like this, statements like this in his, in his ministry. Yet at the same time, as he's saying this, he's doing these kind of seemingly liberal things like hanging out with prostitutes and sinners and, you know, um, or things like people being up in arms. Conservative types actually would have a harder time with this. Um, people being up in arms about Jesus' followers not fasting from food or not keeping a Sabbath. And, you know, and Jesus' response to those things, if you know these stories, are, you know, and they ask him a question, why aren't they fasting? Why aren't they keeping a Sabbath? And Jesus' answers in both cases because I'm here. I'm their rest. Why would they keep a Sabbath when I'm here? I'm what the Sabbath pointed to. Or with fasting, I'm their food. I'm like a bridegroom here at, uh, with his bride at a wedding reception. Why would, they, why would they be somber and not eat when we're at, at a party? So his answer is, you know, I, I'm here. And so there's different aspects then of the kingdom that will, and we've seen this in ministry at Hiawatha, that will attract and offend. It will uh, you know, in a city like Minneapolis, this is actually a really helpful principle in, in ministry is to preach the whole counsel of Scripture, but to go all in on Jesus, not on kind of a secondary uh, principle that might be easily categorized as conservative or liberal. And so I preach everything. And that's kind of what this last thing is getting at here is we think the freedom of the gospel, so the freedom that we have in Jesus being everything and, and alone everything for us, the fact that he died for our sins and that he rose again Going all in on that becomes both attractive and offensive to people on both ends of the spectrum, liberals and conservatives, theologically speaking, and otherwise maybe too, alike. And, and we've seen that happen here. Uh, you know, so true Christians, we think, uphold this third way mentality, Jesus being the third way. So we're not, you know, in Acts 29 churches, I think, do this well overall. We really try to push this home that, that Jesus is not calling bad people into this kind of sphere of being good. It's not saying, you're bad, now come over here and live this way. As much as he's calling dead people from the tombs and to himself. So if you look at the claims of Christ biblically, he's, uh, not that there's nothing to say about kind of shifting the way that we live. I mean, there, there is kingdom value there. There's something to say about that, but primarily, Jesus is, uh, Jesus is saying, I'm the way, not here's the way over here. I am the truth, not here's the truth if you think this way or live this way over here. I am the door, not here's the door. 
now I'll get out of the way, kind of like a good sage or like a religious leader and kind of let you walk through it. He's saying, I am the resurrection. I'm the life. I'm the door. I'm the bread. I'm the fountain. I'm the answer to all your questions. I'm the solution to all the darknesses in your life. I, me, and what I do, I'm the sent one of God who's come into the world to actually be the capital A answer uh, to all the confusions and answers and darknesses. So that's very, that's very different, and we really believe that uh, here, that Jesus is enough. His grace really is sufficient. There's nothing else you need. There's nothing else I need. Is that freeing? That's God's gift to you and me, is himself. When nothing else worked, when we couldn't climb the ladder, when we couldn't do enough, we couldn't live ascetically enough, we couldn't cut ourselves enough, we couldn't abstain from this enough, we couldn't pursue this enough, we couldn't be good enough. God says, actually, it was never about that. It was about me coming down the ladder and, and being sufficient for you. So it's a little bit of a bunny trail there, but I, I wanted to just kind of spin off on that to show you, to teach about what we think the gospel is and how it challenges different kind of presuppositions that could be both conservative or liberal, and it's going to be attractive and repelling to both types. But if you offer this third way, uh, you know, we hope that it's ultimately uh, attractive, that it, it's challenging, offensive, but also attractive uh, that it gives that conservative theology, but it frees us up to enter into very dark places uh, with the, um, the gospel of grace and to live very simple spiritualities in a way that would really bother fundamentalists and uber-conservative types that think they're good when they're not. So what I want to do now then is uh, kind of spin off on this to um, talk with you and make this our main text for today, Acts 28, 23 to 31. If you want to turn there in your own Bibles, great. I have it on an insert and It'll be on screen too. But um, these are the last words of the book of Acts. So uh, if you're new to the Bible, this is the last kind of history book of the Bible. Everything after this is letters. Uh, but this is the story of the Acts of the disciples after they were uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, kind of renamed apostles, which means sent ones, sent out to preach the first sermons and to start the first churches and to baptize the first converts and all of that. And the whole book's about that, just different stories about how the gospel went out from Jerusalem and it spread to the whole Roman Empire. And the Apostle Paul is a main character of the book who himself is converted as a Christian-hating Jew who's uh, just knocked back on his, uh, off his horse, essentially, on the ground and blinded by this light from heaven. And Jesus says, I'm here to save you and love you and now get up and go talk to this person. They'll share the gospel more with you and you'll believe it and then you'll, I'll show you. He actually says, I'll show you how much you must suffer for my name. It's like, giddy up, you know, here we go. But uh, that's basically what happens. You know, Paul's story, it's basically lots of, lots of glory, lots of suffering. Um, but Paul is this tool that Jesus, in the early years of the church, primarily uses to reach non-Jewish, or we call them Gentiles, with the gospel. So it's this big book on church planting, essentially, and the work of the Holy Spirit through all of that uh, to reach the nations uh, through the word, the gospel word of the church and how it's carried um, so, so this is the last words of, of the whole book. It, it ends with Paul being in house arrest in Acts 28 in Rome. Uh, the Jews are freaked out by this guy because of his claims about Christ, and they have to go kind of through the Romans because the Romans are governing the whole land at this time, and they don't have authority to judge and kill and imprison and things like that. But the Romans are like, what's this guy done? He's not done anything wrong. And so there's like, you know, confusion there. He appeals to Caesar, so they take him across the Mediterranean to Rome, and now he's kind of awaiting trial or more, yeah, 
yeah, more trial from the uh, Romans as he um, sits in house arrest. And so as I read this then, just take that in and, and note what he's saying, note kind of what's happening here and how simple this is. And then the idea is this kind of spins off into the Acts 29 era. Because Acts 29 is not a, a biblical chapter, of course. And so the idea is we're living in this time. This is, Acts 29 is now. Uh, this doesn't really have an ending, the book of Acts. It's sort of, it's very open-ended. And it's, it's, it's written beautifully that way to kind of suggest that, that we're a part of the story, whether we like it or not. All right, verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, so first some Jews are going to come uh, meet with Paul. Uh, appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I will heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. All right, so it's kind of one of those, again, you want to say, ah, the end, but at the same time, there's not really an ending. You know, it'd be neater if, it sounds morbid, I know, but it'd be neater if Paul would have, like, died at this point. You know, after all the story about Paul, if you know Acts, you can kind of feel this a bit more, but after all that Paul does, they kind of like die or something or be beheaded or whatever, and then kind of tie a nice little bow on his story and kind of shelve it. But that's not what happened. He's just here in house arrest with like a ankle cuffs on over coffee, just kind of delivering papers during the day and then telling people about Jesus at night and living a very simple life. And, but it doesn't stop. It just kind of opens up into this new, uh, new era, and I'll, I'll come back to that here in uh, just a bit. So, so a few observations then, and I, you'll notice we're really widening out here. We talked about what is Acts 29, so you guys know one of our uh, kind of uh, affiliates, essentially, our, our networks and all that, but this is a broader idea biblically, and um, we're saying things here right from the scriptures that we're really all in on as a church, and we want you guys to know that, hopefully convince you of, and then I'll end with inviting you into this. So this is way more than just saying this is what you know, we're about as leaders or something. We want you guys to be a part of this. We think it's a, such a way to live, such a great way to live, and um, such a big mission, and we need each other. Um, and so anyway, we'll end with uh, a few things there. But I have four things uh, as we kind of unpack Acts 28 here um, that, that teach on some of our beliefs and values. The first is the gospel is something that we expound, we talk about, we seek to convince others of, we proclaim and we teach. It is a word, not a man-made action or agenda or a way of life, though it can affect those things. It's not that primarily. And, and it has to do with Jesus. So you see those words here, I just put those out. See, maybe you saw this, but you can remember. Th these are the action words given to Paul. So when these Jews come into his house and then later presumably these Gentiles, because he says they will listen, um, he starts to talk. 
And that might sound really simple to a lot of you, but maybe for some of you that's very paradigm shifting. But I don't want this to be an obvious thing. Uh, this, this, should be, this should be quite radical, and it should challenge the way we think about what ministry looks like. It's very unavoidably word-based. Not at the expense of deeds by any stretch, but it's primarily word-based. And so when people are knocking on his door and they don't know about Christ yet, uh, he speaks, he talks, and he does this to churches too. It's not just a non-Christian thing, it's to Christians. It is a word-based uh, gospel, and, and it's about Christ as well, to be very clear. Uh, when it says in verse 23, he sought to convince them about Jesus, that's a very important, very important line. And he did that. He didn't talk about how important it was to be good or what the mission of the church was, like skipping a bunch of steps, though those are both important things. Um, the gospel was good news that Jesus died for our sins, and he's alive. And so he convinced them of this, sought to convince them, and some are kind of believing, it's interesting, they start arguing, but some are like, yeah, this guy's right, others are completely rejecting, but he sought to convince them about Jesus and his claims, and what he did on the cross, and then he rose again, and how, how that matters for us uh, as sinful human beings, what that earns for us, how that saves us, how we get the forgiveness of sins if we put our faith in that event. So um, the Old Testament points ahead to it. We talked about that, the law and the prophets. He's actually using the Old Testament to argue for this, which is interesting. Uh, and then the New Testament clearly states, so many places we could go, but in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is the same guy, Paul, writing to his associate Timothy, and he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. A while ago, Leith and I were thinking of verses we wanted our kids to memorize, and this was one of them. This is just such a simple statement of the gospel and so beautiful because it brings us in too. I'm the worst of persons, and yet I'm savable because God is bigger than sin. He's bigger than darkness. He's bigger than the worst things we've done. doesn't matter. I'm talking like today and yesterday, those things that you're carrying in this room. He was nailed to a cross for that willingly so he might bear the brunt of God's wrath and bear the brunt of punishment for it and and there indeed has to be, because God is just. But he's also merciful and full of love. And so the cross looks the way it does because he's also love, and he's also merciful, and he's also generous, and he also does not take delight in the death of the wicked. He wants to save. And so his ultimate olive branch, his ultimate peace offering, is his son, Jesus Christ, um, nailed to a tree among criminals for us. So... Churches that believe these things about the gospel, that it is something primarily word-centered, not deed-centered, though deeds can show off the words, but word-centered churches uh, like Hiawatha, and these are some kind of sub-values here, will, you know, will, will do these things. They will value biblical preaching because faith comes from hearing, Romans 10, 17 says. Faith does not come from seeing uh, something, though that can be a powerful thing, and God can be in that, it comes ultimately from hearing something. It's a word that's spoken that we kind of ascribe to. God speaks to us through the Bible. He speaks to us through Christians. He speaks to us through sermons, through the church, through casual conversations over coffee and dinner that are truth-filled about Jesus, and he changes hearts through it. So think about this. The gospel is an historical event, uh, and so we herald it. We, we're basically saying when we talk about the gospel, the war is over. It's like a, a war ending today, and there's news. It's on CNN. It's on local news channels. It's just talked about uh, across the fence with your neighbors. The war, did you hear? The war is over. 
It's something we herald, we announce, we proclaim. Not as like ultimately we're trying to convince people, like, you know, and we are trying to convince, but it's not something that people's beliefs can dictate the truthfulness of. You know, like, it's like saying uh, President Obama is your president. And you may like that because you like him, or you may hate that because you don't like him. It doesn't change the fact that he's your president. So it's like Christians announce, we proclaim, Jesus is alive. He is your Lord. He is your God. He's the only way to God. Receive that good news and that gospel. Uh, it's, it's truth. It's heralding. It's proclamation. It's preaching. It's evangelism. It is uh, word-based ministry. So again, churches that believe these things will tend to preach more than those that, that don't. Uh, second is churches will also read the Bible as though, if all this is true, as though everything's about him. Uh, like Paul reasoned from the Old Testament about Jesus. So you've seen our, if you've been here for our Genesis series, for example, recently you've seen us do that. And then third, um, this will lead us to evangelize people more than moralize them. So one thing you'll notice here in Acts 28 is this kind of striking absence of any mention of moral law. Um, Paul's, and we don't have all the, the aspect of their conversation, but we see the gist. It says, uh, you know, Paul, these lost people come to Paul and he tells them about Christ. Not about how to have their best life now or how to modify their behavior. But he tells them about Jesus. He's looking at sinners and saying, here's the solution. Not to change your life, not to get cleaned up. Let me tell you about this man, Christ, who lived and said these things who lived this life, who walked this road, who died, and who rose again, and no one can find his body. Everyone's looking for it. No one can find it. It actually happened. We actually saw him. Paul said, I've seen him with my own eyes. The initial apostles saw him. They ate lunch and breakfast with him and talked with him after his resurrection, and he was seen by 500 people at once. It's not a hallucination, and no one can find his body, and no one has for 2,000 years. You know, so he's alive. See, that. The answer goes right to the cross, right to the empty tomb. That's the answer to all of your problems and mine. All of them. It's not inside you. This isn't life coach time. This is evangelism time. Evangel, the ultimate, that means the gospel, the ultimate good news. We're gospelizing people. We're leading them to good news. The war is over. God has ended the war between us and him. No more fighting. No more enmity. No more separation, but God has lovingly brought us back to himself by making a way out from sin. Glory to God. So that's the first thing, some initial uh, things there with word-based ministry. Second is, uh, some believe, in Acts 28, some believe Paul's message and some don't, which is really encouraging if you, let, if you share the gospel. You know, just think about this sometimes. I'll think about this. Uh, this happened with Jesus too, so it's even more with him. But, you know, Paul, who's... Not this like professional Christian, there's no such thing, but if there was in the Bible, we'd say, the guy's been around the block a couple of times, he's seen a few things, done a couple of ditties here and there, but, uh, he's, but he's not being listened to, he's being laughed at, he's being rejected. And, and, and I, the, the dots here to connect are, it's the gospel that's doing that. Because saying to someone, you're a good person, here's some things you can kind of do on your, on your on a daily basis to kind of be a little bit better person than you are and, and change the world. No one's offended by that. It's not offensive. It's not going to turn people away. That's Paul's message. Everyone would believe. Everyone would receive it. 
He has, he has a huge church. But the gospel is the most beautiful thing and it's the most offensive thing. And because of that, it's going to repel and it's going to attract. And you see it all the way throughout the Bible. Even way back in Genesis right now in our series, we're, we're seeing just two types of people. We're seeing people that pursue darkness and those that pursue light, those that don't live by faith and those that do live by faith. Lots of twins that kind of represent different ways of viewing God and doing what it means to be saved. We're seeing that theme kind of play out. There are two paths, not a third. There's the path of damnation and the path of salvation. And uh, the only way in is through, through Christ and, and his gospel. So, but we're seeing that here. We're, we're seeing how, how this plays out. And, and many times, it's, it's actually, we've seen this at Hiawatha a lot, um, it's the good or those that think they're good or religious people who reject the gospel, uh, like the Jews in this passage, uh, because they can't handle the message that they're not good enough. So what, what we're seeing in, in Acts 28 is actually the good people that should know better, the law keepers, the religious people, the spiritual people who are rejecting the gospel. And then he's saying the Gentiles will hear, those dogs, those uh, distant from God people, those pagans, those prostitute worshipers, ones with like bronze idols just erected in the middle of the marketplaces and in their homes. They will listen. And not all, of course, but he's saying there will be a, a great in-gathering of Gentiles because they know they're sinners. And it's interesting. We're seeing This happened to Jesus too. And it's happening to Paul. Jesus butted heads with good people. It's, you know, uh, Tim Keller, a pastor in Europe, says, and we agree with this, when the message of the gospel is clear, it's not always clear, so it's a big if there, but when it is, when the gospel is clear, moral people are the ones who tend to dislike it. Not all the time, but most of the time. And, and we've seen this play out. If, if we don't see our sin, if we think we're better than we are, we will not like the gospel. We won't want to centralize Jesus. Uh, we'll be more about what we should do on a daily basis than what God has done for us. It's greatly humbling. Uh, Jesus is called the rock of offense. That's the name of your Savior <laughs> in the Bible. He's the rock of offense. People trip and they fall and they bruise their knees and their bodies uh, because they're tripping over the fact that Jesus is alone the way in. And it fools us. It tricks us. It uh, trips us. It, it, in, our, in our pride, it makes us stumble. And, and, and if we get up from that and say, wow, that was a big rock. <laughs> Got to rethink my life here. And we, and we believe this gospel. We put our faith in the rock of offense. We're saved. We stop running the race of morality. We're saved. But for a lot of religious people, and we've seen that here at Hiawatha. Many people have left our church um, offended by the grace we preach. You might think that's strange, but we've personally heard from a lot of people that it's the grace we preach that's offensive that they leave over. Too simple, not enough to do, too much gospel, and they walk away. And it's the saddest thing I think I have to experience in ministry, uh, but it's also what we expect. It happened to Jesus. It happened to Paul. It's going to happen to us. Uh, many will receive and believe. Many will come to the end of themselves and cling to Christ, and many will think there's something when they're nothing and walk away looking for churches or philosophies or other religions that make it more about them than God. It happens every day. Some of you are probably in that kind of narrative now. I think all of us are. I wake up on a daily basis wrestling with that. But um, 
some of us in the room more than others. And the gospel challenges that and says, stare at the bloody man on the cross and think you're a good person. I dare you. <laughs> Try it. Stare at that man on the cross and see what he went through. See what he's saying on the cross. Look at his claims and try to think right alongside that that you're a good person. It's oil and water. It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. And that's the point is God's not going through that if we're able to save ourselves. What the heck is he doing? It's bloody. It's visceral. It's fulfilling all the scriptures. It's God alone providing it to show that it's by grace we're saved, not by our works. Third here is, um, this is the, the last bit of scriptural history, I mentioned this, that we have in the Bible, and it ends in a very simple, even mundane note, and we love that. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so I mentioned this, uh, a lot of you are aware, what makes, the, I think, the end of Acts so amazing is how it begins. At the beginning, we have Pentecost, we have the coming of the Holy Spirit visibly with tongues of fire on the, on the apostles who then subsequently speak in other languages. We see massive crowds converting, miraculous healings, the Holy Spirit visibly descending on, on people, angels inciting earthquakes to set the apostles free from prison, Jesus visibly appearing to Paul, uh, tons of churches getting planted, and, and then it ends like this in Acts 28. Paul in house arrest, quietly, mundanely, simply having people over to his house over a cup of coffee and telling them about Jesus and being rejected for it. You guys see that beautiful contrast? It starts one way, it starts very loud and miraculous and it ends very simple and mundane. And, and it's not a mistake, Paul's not failing. It just suggests that God is the God of both, the loud and the quiet, Good Friday and Easter, suffering and comfort and resurrection power. The cross and the resurrection of both, and so we're going to live, live in, in both. And so a, a few kind of sub-values here. I'll go through these kind of quick, just so you know that we have as a church is, in light of all this, we believe in miracles as a church, but none greater than a sinner believing in the gospel for the first or thousandth time. We value the mundane because all things belong to God and all things work out for the good, and God delights in using the ordinary to do the extraordinary. We value a program light church culture that allows for the free time to welcome non-believers into our homes. And we value hospitality as the one of the premier images of the gospel, but not the essence of, of the gospel. All right, and fourth and final. Um, all of this, if you know the book of Acts, you know this, but all of Acts 28 is occurring on the heels of and in the context of a robust first century church planting ministry. And so we, we saw a few verses here, but he's in house arrest, so it's not indicative of the whole book. Paul plants churches, period. Uh, when, when he sees converts in a city, he quickly organizes them. They instinctually gather, and they meet together to, to listen to teaching, to take communion, to fellowship, and to pray and other things, and um, to organize and be sent out for missions. So that's the pattern you see. People are saved, they're organized into churches, and Paul leaves, and after things are put into order, and, and they go on. And so if that's the order, and this is what church planting churches say, and as an Acts 29 church, we would, and just even aside from that, we would just say this, 
that it's right to plant churches and to be involved in that. Um, it's not, we're not here for ourselves, uh, but we're here for, to start other communities of light in a world of darkness. Um, and it's the best way to reach a city, uh, we, we believe. So, uh, so you guys should just know that about us. We, we invest highly in this as a community, and, and whether it's through, through funding churches or coaching or assessing or, or sending our own um, to do the work, uh, which is the, the most kind of costly way, but in some ways the most worth it. Uh, we've been involved in all these things uh, the past 10 years, including sending two of our own out to start churches, one in New York City and one in Fridley, Minnesota, closer to home here. And, uh, and we wanted to announce today, too, and some of you guys are aware of this, but just kind of uh, throw this in. Announce today. You'll hear more about this after the new year, but um, we, at least from the pulpit, you'll hear before that, too, but um, wanted to officially announce that uh, today our, our intern, we have an intern right now, a lot of you guys are aware of that, our pastoral intern, uh, Paul Reichman, who um, was here for service, he's not here right now, but is uh, going to start to move into what we call uh, a church planning residency at Hiawatha Church, which is kind of subsequent to an internship, at least in his case, and it was for Kevin when he was here, um, with the intent to be our third church planner. So if you didn't know that, just uh, we're excited to announce that, that we are, we have one in the hopper. <laughs> we're pregnant, I guess, to mix metaphors. Uh, we're, we're pregnant, uh, and we are going to plant a third church in about a year. Uh, so um, we've officially backed him as a church. We're starting to fund him, and he's going to finish up some internship stuff this year as he starts to think more with Jamie, his wife, if you don't know Paul, uh, Paul and Jamie Reichman, um, finishing st- some stuff up exactly like, you know, organizing vision, values, philosophy, ministry, gathering a team, raising money all kinds of, uh, of good, good stuff. So um, that's all I'm going to say for today, just for time's sake. But uh, you guys can pray for him. If you don't know him yet, meet him. Uh, and Paul and Jamie, uh, they'd love to you know, share more about what they're going to do. But this will be our uh, closest to home church plant we've had so far. It's going to be in the Twin Cities here and probably not that far away. So it'll have a different feel. Um, we hope that a number of people from Hiawatha go with him and uh, start, help him start a new church and stay there indefinitely. As hard as that's going to be relationally, um, that is... It's like giving birth, right? It's painful, and it's messy, and it's hard, and, uh, but it's worth it. It's new life, and it's a way to reach more people with the gospel. And, and so that's, for those of us who will remain, and most of us will remain, uh, we'll feel that pain, but um, we'll remember that it's not about us. It, when we started this church 10 years ago, that was our mantra. It still is. It's not about us growing huge. This is about multiplication. It's about more people hearing about grace. Uh, it's about more people being confronted with their moralism and their self-righteousness and their sin, which that's a type of sin, but, you know, and, and seeing Jesus as that ultimate way uh, in. So you can pray for him. Uh, you'll hear more after the new year, like I was saying, more formally, but want to announce this because some of you guys are hearing about it already, and um, we're shifting his title here, and so you guys, you know, should know this, but um, pray for him. Pray for us as we send him and minister to him and, and Jamie. Um, in the coming months, so, but I want to just end with this here is um, encourage you guys to enter into this. I started with that. Living an Acts 29 life uh, looks like a lot of things, but I, I want to just say that everything I've said here today is, is for you guys. Everything Acts 28 says about the gospel and about what life looks like as a believer is for you. It's not just a list. It's not, you know, just what Hiawatha, like on the leadership level, is doing. Some guy did. Uh, it's for us, whether that's the gospel itself, that Jesus died for our sins and building that into our lives, or 
whether it's hosp or whether it's the call to like live in a certain way in light of it, like showing hospitality to non-believers and, and to believers alike, reflecting God's hospitality to us, or the church planting idea and practice, or or um, some other things here, valuing word-based ministry, more than deed-based ministry, though that's secondary and still very important, but valuing the word of God in every, in every aspect, and embracing the mundane as God's overall, uh, and staying heavenly evolved in, in the church. Um, John Stott says, if the church is central to God's purpose, as seen in both history and the Bible, it must surely also be central to, uh, to our lives. And so... Um, so I want to end by just inviting you guys to that. Wherever you are, first Sunday here, or you've been here three years and not really fully kind of delved in yet in whatever way, um, or you already are, uh, we need you guys. We're a body here. This isn't just top-down leadership doing everything. This is a, a living, breathing entity, the body of Christ towards South Minneapolis and St. Paul and beyond and reaching people with the gospel. It's, it's us linking arms together. It's joining a community group, it's taking our HLI classes, it's helping out a Sunday morning, it's showing hospitality to people that you know in the church and to your lost neighbors. A lot of you guys are doing that. It's helping start new churches, funding them or going or anything in between. Um, it's, it's all that and more. And, and so I, this is not just a description, in other words. This is actually what, what life can look like as a believer. A uh, gospel, simple, mundane life that uber-fundamentalistic and conservative types will look at you and say it's too simple. It's not ascetic enough. And you will look back and say, actually, it's quite biblical. And I'm confident in my faith. I'm confident in the fact that Jesus is enough for me. I don't need to do all that stuff. I have, I have the Lord. I have the cross. I have the empty tomb. What could I add to that? And so, with that said, let me pray for us. And we'll respond with one song. God, thank you uh, for a, ch a chance today, God, to talk about our church and about the gospel.